Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast. Today, we are going to be talking uh, with Geraldine, and she is from Commune Française. And we're going to have a fascinating discussion about uh, her background, how she got into languages. Uh, she's got a very large YouTube channel. Uh, she'll be talking about uh, adjusting to French culture and um, how to get into speaking French and plenty of other things. So that all of that is in today's episode. So without further ado, here we go with our conversation with Geraldine. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 57. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Welcome everyone to Fluent in Three Months. This is Elizabeth and today we are speaking with, Benny and I are speaking with Geraldine Lepere, who is the founder of Comme une Française. It's a website, it's a series of courses, and she's most famous for YouTube where she teaches us cultural tips about how to blend in when you're visiting France, living in France, and learning to speak French. Welcome, Geraldine. Benny and I are so happy to have you with us today. Bonjour, Elisabeth. Bonjour, Benny. It's an honor to be with you today. So we would love to hear from your own um, perspective, like what is your story? Uh, you've got a very interesting uh, way that you kind of relate to your students with how your story with learning English be uh, came about and just how you got into languages in general yourself. Um, let's hear about it. Well, I'm a French woman. I was born in Paris and now I live in the French Alps. It's near Switzerland. I, have a, I live in a smallish city surrounded by mountains called Grenoble. And um, actually, I was born to a French father, but a Mexican mother as well. So I've known the challenges and desire to blend into life in a foreign country since I was born, because I've always seen my mother struggle all the time. And so having a dual culture was something I was really aware of um, with my mom, but also when I was traveling in Mexico to see my own family, it was difficult to fit in to understand all the codes and the language as well. So I trained as an engineer, as all my family does, and I decided to move to Leeds in Yorkshire in the UK. And I had a job in renewable energies because this is what I am. I have a degree in. And I realized that knowing the language has nothing to do with fitting in a culture. And even though I could manage the work, I didn't understand the jokes. I didn't understand the popular culture, like Doctor Who. What's, why is it so important to know about him? Or the regular politeness, which is very regional as well. And when I decided to start my own company after reading Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek, where I saw you, Benny, um, I realized that um, I wanted to do what I would have loved to have when I was in Britain with my own culture and what I would have loved my mom to have when she was um, she was 30 and she moved to France and she didn't know any word of French. She didn't understand the culture. So I did that for her with her in mind and with me in mind as well. So that's why I wanted to tell everybody about French culture, all the elements that the textbooks would never tell you. Do this, do that. We didn't, we don't have any taboo at Commune Francaise. We talk about all the little things that you would have learned as a child, but no teacher would ever tell you. 
You see, I think that's the secret that your mother came from a different culture. And so you were able to see French culture through her eyes as opposed to seeing it through your eyes. Like as an American, I don't really, I'm not able to process that it might be different for others and that there's these little tricks and we just consider, oh, if you do something different than us, you aren't being polite. And what I realized with um, French is once I decoded what politeness meant, the whole world opened up to me when I was able to connect with the cultural norms. For example, when you walk into a store, you say bonjour. And then you wait. You don't say anything else. You wait until they say bonjour back. And then the conversation continues. My mother um, came from Belarus. And so I do have that feeling of I know what it's like to have immigrants in the family. I'm very good at understanding people with thick accents. But I didn't see she was fully bilingual. So when you started, I, I believe you said that in one of your videos that your mom, sometimes you would have to help her kind of process what the French culture was. Um, what were those moments like? And were those things in the back of your mind? You were like, oh, that's what she's missing. Like all my friends know this, my teachers know this, but my mom hasn't experienced it. I think it's the experience of all the children of immigrants where you're actually helping your parents with things that are obvious to all the other parents. So for us, it was writing as well um, because she can, she's very good in cultural blending. She can, she really likes to explore other cultures. But uh, also what we experienced from very early on is the casual racism that you can have around people who don't speak perfectly French because French people can be very arrogant with their language if they assume that you should be speaking perfectly, which is absolutely not the case when they are very surprised and happy that you are actually interested in a language. This is why very often with Camille in Francaise, I teach things and people who live in France go and apply it right away at the boulangerie next door. Or if you're traveling, I've had so many experiences of students telling me, I wanted to go to this restaurant uh, for my first time in France and the waiter asked me, so how, for how many years have you been living here? And my student says, tells the waiter, oh, that's my first visit. Not because their French is perfect at all, but because they have the cultural clues, as you were saying, about saying bonjour in a certain way, not saying bonjour twice during the same day because it shows that you forgot that you met the person already knowing the importance of food. And this has nothing to do with grammar of vocabulary. It's about being aware of what's happening around you. I assume for Benny, there are some codes in Ireland that I wouldn't see in Yorkshire. And these are important to people in Ireland. So this is so exciting because when you're learning a language, it can apply differently in different countries as well. Absolutely. This has been one of the parts of travel that I found the most fascinating when I go to a country is just trying to see what are the uh, idiosyncrasies and what's unique about how these people interact? And for me personally, um, initially, France was a challenge. And uh, like, obviously, each country is its own challenge and each country has its own language issues to, to work through. But I, I, had, I had a process in trying to uh, adjust to French culture, especially Parisian culture, because I was working as a stagiaire in Paris for nine months. And um, it's, I think people are interested, uh, people listening, it's, it's very unfortunate that um, France has a stereotype where people are impatient and 
there, it might be mean to you. And initially, I started to receive that stereotype. But with time, I realized it's not actually the French people. It's, it's problems that I'm bringing from outside that I'm bringing my own uh, expectations based on how people should act in Ireland. And once I started to implement a few of these changes and understanding that French perspective, my experience completely transformed. And ever since then, I've only had positive experiences in France. So for people listening and who are worried or who may have, like myself, had that initial clash with French culture, what kind of tips, like you've, we've touched on briefly saying bonjour as you initially see people, but you know, there's obviously a lot more to it than that. So what else could you advise people? If we go beyond this, if we dive deeper, I would say in the stereotype that you're talking about, which is kind of true if you look at it from the outside, is that the, the curve for making friends between American culture, I'm going to take American culture because it's very different from French culture. Um, are completely opposite because French people's uh, friendships are going up only and you cannot go back. So I would say if uh, you're my neighbor, Benny, for example, and I see you and I don't say anything to you beyond just bonjour, it means that our relationship is this way. It's not bad. But as soon as we start speaking, we're not allowed to go back to ignoring each other. So we're never going to be other friendly to people we know we cannot engage with later in life. And this doesn't mean we're cold. It's just how we are wired. Um, and I've seen that in Eastern uh, cultures as well, because I've been uh, teaching French at the Red Cross. So we had other cultures as well, learning French, and we were connecting much more easily sometimes than with, with Americans. And Americans are extremely friendly right away. So when they meet a French person who is more reserved, they're like, they don't like me, they hate me, what's wrong with me? And nothing is wrong. Everything is very, very fine. And there's also a problem when French people travel in the US where they expect the person who invested so much to keep investing and it stops. And again, none of that is a cult, is a, is a criticism of the culture. It's just different expectations. So I've been personally disappointed many times because I thought, wow, this American person is going to become my best friend. And I realized, no, that's, I'm wrong there because it's just a different way of behaving at the beginning. So indeed, it is a kind of a true stereotype, but only if you look at it from the outside. And this helped so many of my students knowing that the relationship goes up. So if you start something with a French person, it will only go up. And that's a very good sign. That is a very good sign. And that is one of the surprises I've had with um, having language exchange partners. My French language exchange partners have become some of my closest and dearest friends. And I would not, I didn't expect that. Um, but just through, there's no going back. We just, our relationship becomes more and more profound. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's really beautiful. Funny aside, last night I had a dream about you, Geraldine, and I had two dogs and they jumped, they jumped on your bed. And I was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. And they were American breed dogs. So I think my brain was like, yes, it's Americans were like these happy golden retrievers that like constantly went, hi, hi, hi. And then we just run off and take a nap. So there is a difference in, in the culture. 
here's a question for you. When you visit family in Mexico, when you visited family in Mexico, how was the culture different? Because honestly, there are a number of books and thank goodness for your website that tells us ways that we can be more connected to the French culture. But I don't, I don't know of any books that are going to tell me about the cultural differences between the Anglophones like Americans and English and, um, and Mexico. What differences did you notice when you went there? Well, I, I have to say first that I'm going to my family. So it's a very special setting because each family has a history. However, what I, what I realized, and it took me a long time, is that as a French woman, I tend to say no easily and to be firm in my, my decisions. And in Mexico, um, being angry or seen as angry, even, even though sometimes it's just a simple no, is not very well seen. You have to behave and, um, and be positive. So it was something that took me a long time to realize. And um, now I tend to to adapt more to the culture in general. And also Mexican people are very nice. <laughs> I don't want just to push for my own country. Um, but yes, I would say this is the biggest thing is as a French person, I tend to say yes or no. Um, and as a Mexican, you have to be more like, negotiate in a very positive way. And it helped me a lot as well because it helps the other person save, save space and also to be nice and to say no in a less firm way, which would be the French way. So having different brains, because I've, I've heard Spanish since I was born, has really helped me to realize that we have different angles and no angle is wrong or right, but you have to adapt beyond even just a language, which is usually seen as vocabulary and grammar and conjugation in French, which almost doesn't matter. Yeah, absolutely. People overthink those things and it's definitely been my experience too that when uh, I've been able to integrate it into some cultures better than some people who I know speak the language better than me. But like initially when people do have these opportunities and they want to speak to a French person, um, like obviously we, we have that initial barrier that, like you said, it's on an upward, um, like it's an upward trend. So you put in the effort and you can definitely make very deep friendships with French people, but like in those very initial conversations and especially people who may just be uh, open to traveling France as a tourist and they're only going to have initial interactions with people, how can they feel uh, like, they, how can they feel less rejected from attempts to use French? What uh, other things? I really like your very direct question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, absolutely. So I would say that what you have to realize is that France is a very touristic country and lots of tourists don't care at all about French culture. So in Paris, there are lots of tourists. The way that the, the Paris uh, City Council doesn't care very much about tourists. So the infrastructures are not as wonderful as in London, for example, or in other countries, because it's also they want to keep it as a real city where real people live. So for most French people in Paris, when they have a foreigner coming to them looking like a tourist, they're going to just ask them what the Eiffel Tower is and not care about their culture, what they want, what they dream about, what the political climate or anything. So this is what is in their minds. Okay. So this is something that you must be aware of as a tourist. However, as soon as you care about the culture, which is usually simple politeness, like bonjour, 
Au revoir, s'il vous plaît. Merci. Um, and uh, knowing that you're here as a visitor and showing that you care is going to make the whole difference. So for example, you're going to, a, you're going to um, a restaurant. I don't care that it is a very touristy restaurant because there are lots of very good touristy restaurants. But what you can do and ask the waiter is, for example, ask more details about the food. Like, um, what is your favorite meal that you enjoyed as a child that is in the menu that I would love to taste? So there you connect right away with the person. And it's even if you say it in English, because you're connecting with them. Whereas lots of people are just going to ask for a croque monsieur because they saw it in, I don't know, Emily in Paris, for example, but they don't care with connecting with people. So this is really what matters. Connect with them, show them that you care. And first is basic politeness. Second is knowing that the relationship goes upwards. So if they just say bonjour, merci, that's already something. And the third is really to connect on something. And a very easy way to connect is food because French people can talk about food for hours. Yeah. I love asking people like, what region is this dish from? And then the, the waiter will explain to me about the region and what their favorite dishes are. And it's great because it's like a little history lesson for me. And I do want to make an aside and I'm, I'm assuming you'll agree with me here. Please, those of you that are listening, watch Emily in Paris for fun. Do not watch it as an educational, as an educational TV show because she does so many things. I'm like, oh, even the French people don't say hi to each other when they walk in the doors. It's like, what? Well, come on. You guys got to do a little bit of research. But, and I, I watched it in Spanish, dubbed in Spanish. So it constantly says like, I speak, I speak French poorly. But in, in the show, I think she's saying I don't speak French at all. And like, you know, going to France without speaking French is kind of, I don't know. It's sad. Learn a little bit. Learn a little bit. So um, you talked about living in Paris and then moving to the Alps. What is the cultural difference between those two? And let's say someone's not going to be visiting Paris. Let's say they're going to be visiting the outer regions, the other parts of France. Are there any things that we need to know more about um, the cultural differences there and how we can how we can get to know our neighbors or the folks that are serving us during that time. I'm going to precise for the Parisian people that I never lived in Paris. I was born in Paris and I lived near Versailles, which has the castle. So that was really cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> Very cool. Well, I would say that um, maybe the, the cliche that we have is that French people outside of, um, of Paris are less super... It's the same between New York and the rest of the US. It's the same between London and the rest of the UK. You have the capital where all the money is and all the good looking people are. And the rest of the world is just something else. So it's usually kind of the same spirit, even though we have to remember that people living in Paris usually move to Paris and people living in the suburbs, like the other cities, they can have moved from Paris, which is very common now. So there isn't like a massive difference anymore. Maybe there was in the 19th century, but not, not that big anymore. I would say that in Paris, because it's the capital, people are going to look better in the center because this is where the most, the richest people are. Um, but apart from that, it can be very nice everywhere. And um, uh, one thing that, of course, makes you stand out a lot is your success on YouTube. And you've got like, almost a half a, mi uh, a quarter of a million uh, subscribers right now. So how did that start? Like, what's your YouTube story? Oh, um, well, I started uh, almost 10 years ago. It's our ninth year this year. And um, 
I, I wanted to start just with blog posts and I quickly realized that it's very difficult to convey pronunciation with blog posts and it's very difficult to convey enthusiasm just with audio. So I had to go into video and because I had been teaching at the Red Cross, I was teaching French. Um, I had been teaching for, I think, almost four years. I really enjoyed teaching live. So doing videos was never really a problem. And I really enjoyed it. And then we found out that the, the content that I was creating was connecting with people because as I said, I don't have any taboo because I hate when people are too afraid to ask a question. So I just go and answer it before they even think about asking it. And uh, this helps a lot. Uh, and it's like what I was in when it is exactly what I would have loved to have in English when I was living in Britain because I just answer the questions I don't dare to ask. That has been my motto since the start. Yeah. And your videos are very much like a best friend kind of letting you in on the secrets. And the, the beauty about videos, we can see your gestures. We can, oh, okay, I can do, you know, and, and okay, these, these, I just made it for those that are listening. I made a gesture, a French gesture where you kind of shake your hand. You mentioned that you grew up bilingual. So I know that there are some Americans and probably other Anglophones that are that want to raise their children multilingual and they don't know how. How did your mother do that? Did your father also speak Spanish um, or did one parent speak Spanish and one parent speak French? Well, uh, my mom didn't speak that well. So she spoke Spanish by default and because it was the easiest language she could uh, use. My dad always spoke French. He understands Spanish very well, but doesn't speak it. Um, and it's, I think it came naturally. If you don't think too much about it, it's very easy to raise a bilingual child if you have a bilingual couple. But at the moment, some people seem to be overthinking it. <laughs> so they just did it. And what's funny is I assume this is something similar for other people who learned uh, different languages in your podcast is my brain thinks differently according to what language I'm using. So I would say that Spanish is, would be more for love and affection. French is more for um, kind of an elegance in speech because it's the language I master best. And uh, English is maybe more for a a kind of humor and mostly business. So it just, sometimes I'm thinking different languages according to what I'm thinking about. And have you had experience as an adult learning a new language? And what was that like, if so? Unfortunately, no. But uh, I had to think a lot about my English recently. How high do I want to bring it? And um, I... I decided not to go too far and perfecting everything. I'm a perfectionist. Um, so I was thinking I should take courses and all, but I decided to try to concentrate on culture. So I would try to understand the American culture better, the British culture better, so I can relate to my students in a much use, much more useful way than having a perfect conjugation and pronunciation. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And your English is excellent. And um, with your students, do you find there are particular pronunciation issues that they have? And what do you, what direction do you give them with that? Absolutely. Well, there are very common difficult sounds for English speakers. It's the nasal sounds, the un, the on, the on, the all these kinds. You also have the e, and then we have the r, the French r, which is at the back of the throat. R, r can be difficult. Um, and then we have the OO and the U, which make lots of funny jokes. Um, 
And what's so funny is that depending on where the people are from, they're going to struggle with different sounds, which is very obvious. So for English speakers, these are the most difficult ones. I don't know, Elizabeth and Benny, what your experience with pronunciation of French is? Well, a squirrel is like the worst word in in both uh, French and Spanish. I And I, you have a video on how to pronounce squirrel in French. I'm not even going to attempt it here right now. Um, I am a disciple of Benny Speak from day one. So, and I also, because my grandfather is one of my language heroes and his accent, his Russian accent was so thick that many times my friends would be like, oh, you understand Russian? I'm like, no, my grandfather's speaking English with a really thick accent. But what I realized is that I loved him and adored him. We had a strong connection and it, I didn't, he didn't need to have a perfect accent. So I, I work from that. I don't, I mean, Benny's French and Spanish is such a higher level than mine. And I don't think I'll ever be at that level. For me, as long as I can connect with another speaker and I can become friends and we can cry together and laugh together, that's enough. I'm done. And I think there's something freeing in that. Benny, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, I mean, it always depends on your goals and uh, something, Geraldine, that you were just saying that you have different parts of your brain for different languages or different themes. It's similar for that for me, because like I said, I was an, uh, like yourself, an engineer, and I worked as an engineering uh, intern when I was in Paris. And so in my mind, French has that more, uh, more of a formal, um, like, uh, feeling in my heart, just because it's like I've, I used it in a work environment. Whereas my Spanish, I learned that entirely on the street and I'm more jovial and have fun with it. So, um, uh, it's, it's definitely, in my experience as well, that, um, you know, it really depends. There's languages that I've only put in a short period of time and they've still given me incredibly rich experiences. So um, it'll, it'll always depend on your goals. And I've uh, definitely got a particular interest in French culture that it's meant that I've and I've spent a, a year, uh, more than a year of my life in France. So it's given me that extra context. And for people who are really trying to dive into French culture, what do you say to them about uh, French literature? Like, how would they open up that world to themselves? The good thing is, if you're interested in literature, usually reading is the easiest part of the French language because you can take your time. Um, I would say read something that you know you're going to enjoy. So many students want to start with Les Miserables. It's 1000 pages long. That's too much, unless you really want it. But um, it's something that I heard a lot among religious students. If you're um, a Christian, you can read the Bible and little parts. I am not religious, but this is something I recommended to religious students because they really enjoy that. And um, you can read Le Petit Nicolas, which is a, it's supposed to be for children, but it's short stories, very enjoyable. Or you can read something that you know you're going to enjoy, which is a translation. As you were talking about Emily in Paris in Spanish, if you love Harry Potter, read it in French. That's something that can be applied to any other um, language as well. But remember, a very important rule is not because you read very well that you speak very well. It, it's usually the easiest part. And how do you how do you actually help people with that spoken part? Because that that does feel like the intimidating aspect of it, and especially understanding other people if they're speaking back to you quickly and uh, like it can feel very intimidating, and people can be tempted to give up. So, like, wh- how do you deal with that um, for people? We've been doing that uh, since 
two years ago where we've been really working on um, understanding fast spoken French. I would say the first recommendation specifically for French would be to know the rules of spoken French because written French and spoken French are almost two different languages. Um, I would say we eat lots of letters, a lot of E letter, the E in French is eaten. We cut the words. The slang is extremely present in French. It is not necessarily vulgar, um, but it is everywhere. So I would say try to work on those elements to realize that with those rules, you actually understand what is being said. Because so many students have a C1, I've seen C2 levels that really struggle with understanding and the confidence to speak. Because as you said, it's really difficult to, to understand. And then I need some time to think what was said to me and what do I say next? So I would say that for what's next, just learn by heart a few common sentences that it's going to sound artificial, but at least you start on the right foot. And I, I assume that applies to any language that you learn. Just have a few sentences that you know, um, it's good, it's bad, yes, I like it. These kind of very common things, this is the kind of basics I teach also so that the, the person in front of you knows that you can keep speaking French because so many are going to switch to English just so that they can practice your English, their English with you. So if it happened, just stick to French. This is my, it's going to be a my mental battle. Stick to French, just keep speaking French. And if you want, you can say, I would like to keep practicing my French if it, please, these kind of things. Yeah, I think if we, I've done that a few times where I just, they speak English and I keep speaking French and they speak English and then they eventually start, they're like, ah, right. And then they just speak <laughs> French to me and I'll do it with a big, gigantic American smile. Um, do you, I, I have a question for both of you. This is just a little bit of, this is like, I'm super curious and I know other readers, uh, listeners are too. Do either one of you get recognized from your YouTube? Like, are you walking down the street and they're like, Hey, Geraldine, uh, does that ever happen? Yes, it has. Does it? Uh, Is it weird? <laughs> uh, well, I'm th I'm very thankful that all my audience are made of very kind people. Um, uh, I know that in other areas of YouTube, it might not be the case, but so far, wonderful experiences. I know that my upstairs neighbor's friend is a fan of Commune Francaise and she told me, my friend is a fan. She can't believe I live up just upstairs of you. And I was like, yeah, that's me. So with the mask recently, it hasn't happened, but I know there's a, there's actually an Irish pub uh, in, in Grenoble. If I go, I know at least I'm going to be recognized once. And uh, for me, it's a, it's an honor, but for my friends, it's like I was Beyonce and it's very, very funny. <laughs> That's great. How about you, Bunny? Do you get recognized? My situations like that are very funny because it tends to happen more when I'm with uh, friends of mine. And what's funny is these friends are also bloggers. Some of them, I would argue, are more famous than me. Like they have way more followers online. Um, but we just happened to be in the situation where um, the person were like, you know, going into a restaurant ordering food. They'd be like, you're Benny from Fluent in Three Months. And uh, it's just, it is always a weird experience. It happens way more in Europe uh, because of the, um, the nature of people are likely maybe there in language learning mode. Does not happen as often in the States. So um, that's that's absolutely fine with me. It gives me, if anything, when I'm in situations where people know me, like a polyglot conference or something, 
um, it, I feel at a little bit of a disadvantage that I want to like tell a story or, you know, introduce myself. And they're, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And you, and you went to Spain for one year and then you did this. And I'm like, but I want to tell that story. So, um, fortunate, I'm actually glad that it doesn't actually have, it does not happen that much. <laughs> um, so like with, uh, all of this ability to make these YouTube videos and to, to help people over the years, like you said, you've been doing it for 10 years. How, what ha lessons have you learned in terms of the adjustments to your teaching style and things that, uh, people struggle with that you did not realize like 10 years ago? Um, what lessons have you taken from this whole YouTube experience as a teacher? Well, uh, YouTube is where I'm visible the most, but, uh, my job, my, my goal was to create a company. So I have a company. I don't live from YouTube ads. So that is very good for me as, um, for my, uh, mental health, I would say, because I'm not dependent on the YouTube algorithm. So I, I have a direct contact with my students through the lessons that I give and the programs that I sell. Um, I would say that the most important thing that I learned was to ask them what they want to learn and also to really share a lot of culture that I personally enjoy. So sharing about uh, a singer I like, something I, students like is when I tell them, you can go to Spotify or Apple Music or whatever music provider and just uh, type chanson française and just go through the top 100 on top 10 and see what French people are actually listening to. And this is very apply, applicable to Irish uh, people as well. Like you can go to top 10 Ireland and listen to what they're actually listening to or what their parents were listening to as well. And it gives you a very good dive into the culture. So I would say uh, that and also really uh, confronting the cliches and the taboos that they might think about and just go in, go all in and address them. This is what you should not do in France. This is what I recommend you try. This is a sentence that you will make you sound like a tourist. This is a funny thing that you can try today, next time you're in France, and will make you pass as someone who's been living here for 10 years. And never going for perfection, because I, I don't care about it for them as learners. I really tell them to perfect their culture, their relationships, rather than just their conjugation, even though my students are very often perfectionists and they want to have the perfect conjugation, grammar and vocabulary. So I would say the culture and uh, going straight with the taboos and the questions that might have, which are culture, cultural, and they might think I'm going to be offended if they ask. I just go in. That's beautiful. And perfectionism is such a stumbling block for, for learners. I feel like what it typically does is it convinces you to make excuses, other excuses. Like I'm not good enough. So I'm going to say, I don't have time right now. I'm going to learn it next Monday. It's like a diet, right? I'm going to learn, I'm going to start again in two years when this project's over and then they never learn. Um, the opposite of perfectionism, like what would you say is the students that you see in your, in your courses that make the most progress, the most significant long lasting progress, what is it one or two characteristics that set them apart? They trust the teacher. 
<laughs> what what I do is I have a live course called Le Salon de Géraldine where I teach um, culture and it's very it's a one on like they have direct access to me um, and um, I I correct homework and uh, for that I give them expectations depending on their level so if you're um, I don't do beginners because it would be too difficult for them but advanced beginners intermediates just go for short sentences and make them right. I don't care that you have a five line sentence, just have your expectations to be right at your own level. That would, that is something I tell my students all the time. Just get these short sentences right. Then we'll move on to something more difficult. And because I'm correct homework live, I am able to adapt the correction to the level of the students to show them this is not good enough. This is how you can make it better. This is full of mistakes, but it's great because you've done it. And you tried. So this is something that really changed their mindset in terms of expectations. You can be right at your own level. You don't need to be C2 to be able to speak French. You can be A2 and speak French pretty well. Absolutely. So um, one thing that we always ask people who are on the podcast is what is, because it's the language hacking podcast, what is your understanding of language hacking? I would say language hacking to me is understanding what matters to the people you're speaking to. Because, um, yeah, because it can be culture, it can be the right handshake, it can be talking about the right thing, having the right smile or not. When I'm in the US, I'm going to smile more. And to me, that's part of language hacking because language is not just, just words. So I would say this, my, my language hacking would be know what the person in front of you is expecting from you and just do it. If you're a tourist in Paris, they're never going to expect you to speak perfect French. So don't prevent yourself from speaking because you think they want you to speak perfectly because they know it's not going to happen. And French people are extremely aware that French is difficult. So it's better if you speak a little bit, know the politeness, know that French relationships only go up and you will be wonderfully fine. Excellent. Well, this has been a very interesting interview and we will make sure that uh, people can find all ways to get in touch with you through the show notes and they can check out the uh, Salon de Géraldine and everything else that you work on, as well as your YouTube channel. Um, and like uh, to wrap up, are there, are there uh, projects uh, that you're going to be working on in your company and what, what things are coming up in the future? During um, the pandemic, we asked students what they wanted and I had to really get out of my comfort zone to create a French um, conversation practice group. Uh, and uh, it's on the weightiest list base because we want to keep the highest standard and it's something I'm very proud of. And if anyone wants to join, they can come into Commune Francaise and we'll let them know where, where they can join the waitlist. But this is the thing I'm the most proud of because I was really worried about doing it because it was completely different from what I've ever done before. And the students are loving it and making so much progress that it's my biggest pride of the year. Excellent. Wow, you heard it here first. You can actually have conversations with Geraldine, just like us right now. That is really cool. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, we'll make sure that people can uh, check you out from all of that. And uh, it's been a very interesting chat with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Until the next time, we'll wish everybody very happy language learning. Happy language learning. So after these episodes, 
we like to have a quick discussion as the hosts with a couple of uh, takeaways that we have from the episode. So I'll, I'll ask you first, Elizabeth, what was your takeaway that you got from this? Well, I mean, the, it was a very rich interview and Geraldine really is as charming, if not more charming than she is on, um, on her YouTube videos. The two things that really connected with me most thinking of our, our challengers in the Fluent Interments Challenge, uh, trust the process, trust your teacher. Know that if you have someone that has had students with a great deal of success before, chances are they're going to be able to help you. And I think sometimes we get, there's a lot of fear in language learning at times because it's unknown water. It's uncharted territories. And when you can just trust that your guide will get you, maybe they won't get you all the way to C2, but they'll get you as far as they say that they can get you trust that process and take, just put one step, one foot in front of the other. The second, which I think is really important is kind of like the anecdote to uh, profession of perfectionism, which is have expectations that are representative of your level in the language. So I know my husband's super articulate in English, way more articulate in English than I am. And that is a stumbling block for him in other languages. Because when we sit at the table and he goes, how do you say this in French? I'll say it to him and he goes, okay, is that Elizabeth French or is that real French? And I'm like, I only know Elizabeth French. Like my expectations for my particular level are are, are, are very realistic. And because of that, there's not a lot of angst. There's not a lot of tension. The more tension, the less, the less progress you're going to make in the language. Absolutely. So from my perspective, uh, of course, Geraldine is very well known for talking about the cultural side of uh, learning French. And um, like I mentioned in the interview, uh, French was a unique experience for me because of those challenges of culture clashes initially. And I had never thought of it uh, specifically from the perspective she had that relationships in France are, are very typically have a only positive trend. So you begin by just barely knowing somebody and it just gets uh, a deeper and deeper relationship from there. And, uh, you know, in a way, obviously, that's that's universal. But uh, what she said about how. Uh, you know, maybe, for instance, in, in the States, people are very friendly right from the get go. But then sometimes maybe later in the relationship, you don't stay in touch as as well as you would. So that way of framing it really, uh, I think, is going to help me to explain to other people the lessons that I learned when I was trying to integrate into French culture is uh, is going at their pace and understanding the local culture from that perspective that even if you uh, judge them from that outside perspective, oh, they're mean or they're rude. But like realistically, what's happening is that you are not adjusting, that initially you have to get to know them. You have to slowly introduce yourself to them. And with time, you can have a very deep friendship that lasts for, for life. And, and her kind of positive trend way of explaining it is one of the biggest takeaways that I'll have from this episode, just because of how. Um, how powerful that is in explaining this clash that we tend to have as foreigners with um, Parisian, especially culture. So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's what I've learned from this. And otherwise, I hope uh, people found this interesting. And as always, if you enjoyed it, make sure to leave a review at languagehacking.com slash review or right here in whatever app you're listening to this in. And I will uh, see you guys in the next episode. So until then, happy language learning. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.